Well, good morning. First Corinthians chapter 3. If you weren't here last Sunday night and you thought you had missed 1 Corinthians, good news, you did not. We actually uh, did a different text last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to close out chapter 3 today, uh, God willing, and um, kick off chapter 4 next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we do come before you and we ask for help this morning. God, I ask for help to faithfully preach your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would equip me to do so. Lord God, I pray that the Holy Spirit that resides in the believers in this room, Lord, that you would take your word and apply it to their lives. God, help us to see things uh, that we may have known at one point but have forgotten or may not have put as much significance in it as your word would put. So help us see the truth. Uh, Help us to see the lies that the enemy has told us. Help us to see our own flaws and our own nature and how we try to deal with the things that you give us. Lord, we need a lot of help this morning. Lord, I pray you would not pass this by. But Lord God, that you would come and you would stir among us this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 3. If you remember, uh, Paul has spent a great deal of time um, chastising the church in Corinth for their uh, elevation of human wisdom. Uh, and the human leaders they have. Uh, There was great debate in the church in Corinth, and they were having all kinds of problems and divisions. And the word reached Paul, referenced this, about what leader they were going to follow and all the different things they were having problems with. And he spent the first three chapters in closing out this chapter. uh, He has just scorched them and their (laughs) ideas of human wisdom and human leaders and has reminded them that Uh, Human wisdom sees the cross as a stumbling block and as foolishness. And he urges them uh, to look at things um, with spiritual eyes, which can only be made possible by the Holy Spirit. Um, And so he reminded them of this and reminded them in the earlier parts of chapter 3 that in their efforts to build their local church, it is possible to do things, and we all have done things, Um, that will burn up in Judgment Day, things that will um, not uh, count, things that were wasted. Uh, And instead, we should make sure we build the local church, build the body of believers uh, with things that count, with things that matter uh, to the King of Kings. Um, And then in verse 18, he begins to sum up his arguments for chapter 3. And he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Let's just pause there for a moment. He's talking about us. <laughs> Amen? And here's the early part. This is not, this is not even in the notes. <laughs> so... Um, 
I was back there reading it just a few minutes ago, and I thought to myself, wow, I just I completely missed this in the text. It's not even the notes, so we're going to go over it now. But let, it is quite possible that we can deceive ourselves. It's very possible. And although I will address the idea of wisdom, it dawns on me more and more um, that if anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, well, that would be me. I think I'm pretty wise, and it probably is you as well. If you've ever said this in your privacy of your home, uh, which is rare, we generally say it at a table with other people, but if you've ever said something to this effect, let me tell you what the church should be doing. Can we do hands here? No, we won't do that. That's wisdom. You think you're wise. And so the scripture says that no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. So Paul once again gets back to this idea of human wisdom, thinking that I can make the church work. If we just, if it's two plus two and it equals four, I can do this and, I, and, and follow me. And You can just imagine all of the division that was occurring among what leader they were going to follow and who had the better strategies and all those kinds of things. Uh, and they argue about that, and he reminds them that if you really want to become wise in the things of God, Ignore the wisdom of humans and become a fool. And only when you become a fool, when you put down the wisdom of the world, can you actually become wise. Now this is obviously, as we've said before, and just want to make a reference to this, this is not referencing general wisdom. Um, I mean... As we've said before, you would hope that your doctors would be wise or that your financial planners are wise with your 401k, etc. That is not speaking to that kind of wisdom. Uh, what this means is applying the world's wisdom to divine things. And the scripture is clear there. That is a foolish idea. There's also a second kind of wisdom that the Bible teaches, and I think you and begin to see it now that we've gone through three chapters. I think you can kind of begin to understand this. And this kind of wisdom um, is a wisdom that makes men think they can figure out God. That they're no better than God. The kind of wisdom that tells the creator and sustainer of the universe who has existed eternally where he has messed up. Any ever done that before? Where you argue with God... And you say things, let me tell you, if, if I was in charge, this is what we would do. I've been alive 45 years, and I still think that I have the ability to go to the king of kings, creator and sustainer of the universe, and say, I, I know you think you know what you're doing, but let me tell you about my 45 years of experience. 
crazy in it. And there is also a demonic wisdom, and that demonic wisdom, which is prevalent in the church, leads to arrogance and division and pride. And the final destination of those who harbor that kind of wisdom is hell. James chapter 3 says it this way in verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. But it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. That's strong. When was the last time somebody, after you gave your idea of how things ought to be happening, said, well, that's demonic? (laughs) That's what James just said. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. God help us. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, open to reason. What? Full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So Paul making sure that these Corinthians understand that the wisdom of the world will not help you understand God, and James, making sure that you understand if you think you are wise, and yet you are arrogant, and you're full of self-ambition, and you cause disorder, not only are you not wise, you are acting demonic. I should have used that in some of the deacons meetings I've been involved with when I was... Would have got fired more than twice, I'm sure. Anyway, Paul wants to remind them one more time as we close out chapter 3 of this foolish way of approaching God. And he says, if you really want to be wise, if you really want to understand the things of God, then you must become literally a moron which is convenient for me because I've been called that many times. You must become a fool. You must take everything that the world says is how this is how we deal with God. You must lay that down and you must instead pursue the Holy Spirit of God and let God open your hearts up to the things that he has for you. And then just in case we think God's been fooled, If we think somebody's ever put one over on God, um, he reminds us, quoting a couple of things um, that we'll get to that make sure that we understand God's not been fooled by our craftiness. um, Because um, you often see this with children, have you not? Any of y'all have children, you've ever had a kid try to fool you with something, and they really thought they were going to get away with it, right? And the whole, and like you're going along with it. God's the same way. 
And so Paul wants to make sure that we understand that this wisdom uh, that makes us look wise in our own eyes is, um, is futile and won't get us any closer to God. And then he reminds us that we must become fools. Because nothing about Christianity is wise and nothing about Christianity makes sense if you apply the wisdom of this age. I wrote down a few of these, uh, but just uh, go with me a little bit. Um, if you want to be a leader, you want to be a leader, I want to be a leader, I want to lead vast amounts of people, then you must become a servant. I want to be first. I want to win. I want to be first. Well, the Bible says then you must be last. To find your life is to lose your life. I want to wear a crown, then you must take up a cross. No, 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 I want to be a king. Yeah, I, I know that you take up a cross. Someone does wrong to you, don't do it back. The good news that we proclaim is the death of our leader. The foreign spirit get the kingdom. Those who mourn get comforted. The meek inherit the earth. Are you suffering? Yes. Rejoice. None of that makes sense. And then finally, he says, in order to truly be wise, you must become a fool. And Justin, think, if you think I can do this without God even knowing, I won't follow his rules, I'll do it. Paul reminds him, quotes from Job 5.13, that God catches the wise in their craftiness, which means he's ahead of the game. And then he quotes Psalm 94.11, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. In the Hebrew, um, says that the thoughts of the wise is but a breath. The Greek, the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint says futile. Both mean the same thing, and that is this. They cannot last because they amount to nothing. And that is your wisdom. And then in Proverbs 31, 30, it says, No wisdom and no understanding and no counsel can avail against the Lord. And so Paul makes sure that the Corinthians understand what God's view of human wisdom is. He's, he's tried for three chapters to make it clear. And then in verse 21, he says, So now that we've made sure you understand there's Nothing good in men when it comes to their wisdom to apply to divine things. And so if anyone has ever applied wisdom that worked to divine things, it's only because it came from God. The only way you've understood anything about God is because of God. The only reason you've ever preached a message that impacted people for the kingdom is because of God. And so, verse 21 so let no one boast in men. 
for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you're Christ and Christ is God. Why not boast in men? Human wisdom is worthless. And so if I preach a sermon that you are impacted by, it is perfectly okay to encourage me in that. And if I go, well, thank you very much, you can say, listen, brother, I love you. Uh, but the only reason that actually happened is because of God. I'm, gr I'm grateful that he used you. But if God ever decided to not use you, you could preach nothing of value. And then Paul moves on to helping them understand why dividing over these leaders and why claiming one is superior than the others and why jockeying for a position with one group while ignoring the others is a terrible idea. Remember, we're talking about Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, of which, by the way, Paul never reprimands them, meaning they're all good. They're just different. One planted Another watered. They're all different teachers, but they're all good. You say, well, well, maybe Paul didn't like somebody. I can assure you, if you go ask Peter, <laughs> Peter will tell you Paul had no issue confronting somebody who was out of line. He doesn't do that in this text. He helps them understand something. All things are yours. Paul and Apollos and Cephas, which is Peter, all of these teachers belong to you. They're all teaching you something. They've all been in your church. They've all had value, not because of them, but because of the Holy Spirit of God who resides in them. He's used them for different things, but it has been God who has used them, and they are all teaching you something. You don't have to choose one or the other. They're all yours they're all yours. And if everything belongs to everyone, and if all the teachers belong to them, then where is the division? Because they've all been given to the church in Corinth. And if you already have it all, what could you possibly, possibly be fighting over? And then Paul, and let's just, um, I admit, a passage that I have not paid a tremendous amount of attention to in my life. Verses 18 through 23 are just profound. Paul's now going to address the Corinthians and say, when I say everything is yours, yes, I am talking about all of the teachers, but I also want you to understand I mean the world is yours. According to Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. One amen and one mm. I bet if I'd have said y'all were all heirs of Steve Jobs, there'd have been a different reaction. In Christ, we are joint heirs with Christ of everything. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The world belongs to us. It belongs to us. Not in a future sense, although that is true, but even now, unless you think Jesus isn't ruling over anything. That's who we are in Christ. Paul, I can imagine as he's writing this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, says, okay, said world, I probably need to put a little bit more detail on that. So he then says, life. Life is yours. In fact, believers are the only ones who truly have life and life abundantly. Only believers have been opened up to the truth of God's word. Before Christ, we were dead. So we have life. And then, as only Paul would do, empowered by the Spirit, he said that you have life and it belongs to you. And now he says, and guess what else belongs to you? Death. That's a weird one. Because by and large, most of us, in some form or fashion, fear death. Now, my wife has always said, I don't necessarily fear death, I just fear the way I'm going to die. <laughs> and that's what I feel when I'm in the ocean swimming, which is why I don't get any further out than my ankles. Because if a great white eats me, it's going to have to crawl up on the shoreline, because that's not how I want to go. Amen. I don't. Some of you probably have not seen Jaws because you're like, I don't know what he meant by that. <laughs> Go watch it. Don't watch it. It's not helpful. Uh, did you know that because of Christ, death is owned by me? You ever thought about that? How can we be fearful of something that we own with Christ? Death does not own me. Death is simply the vehicle that takes me to Jesus. It has no power over me at all because of the resurrection of Christ. Then he moves to the present. Paul said, did you know Corinthians that even the present belongs to you. I mean, the world belongs to you. Life belongs to you. Death belongs to you. And this very present moment belongs to you. What is happening right now are only opportunities that you own to make a difference for the kingdoms. These moments right now, your moments right now, you can claim are mine. Now, we, see, we start saying those kind of words, and we've grown up in a Baptist church. We're like, can't say anything's mine because it all belongs to Christ, except for the Scripture says it all belongs to you. Like, the Bible said that. I didn't say that. The Bible said that. So every moment that you have, every breath you take, you know who it belongs to? You. For you to use, because you own everything. Now, there's a question that's beginning to build in some of your hearts. I'll get there. Same question I had. Maybe it's the same question y'all have. I had one, but we'll get there. 
the future. The only other thing we fear more than death is the future, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to plan for this. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do this? Did you know that according to the Bible, that the future belongs to us? I mean, I can't even see it. I can't even completely understand it. I can't control it, but it absolutely belongs to me because the Bible says so. The world, life, death, the present, and the future belong to me. And then Paul sums it up by saying, all are yours. All of that's belonged by you. I mean, literally, drive down the loop today, and as you're driving, look around and go, what do you th- look at your spouse and say, what do you think about everything I own? <laughs> if the spouse is sharp, she'll say, you mean what I own. <laughs> And then hopefully your children will say, what we all own. I mean, they'll be the biblical people, but everything's yours. That's what the Bible said. Everything belongs to us. You are arguing, you bunch of Corinthians, over which camp to follow and who who we're going to put in charge. And I need you to understand, they're all yours. God sent them to you. The only reason Paul showed up to preach is because God sent him. The only reason Apollos was there is because God sent him. The only reason Peter may or may not have been there or at least had impact on that church is because God sent them. Everything you're complaining about is all for you. You own it all. So we just own the teachers? No, you actually own the world. What do you mean by the world? Life, death, the present, the future, it all belongs to you. To you. Now here's why. It's not because of who we are, because we are not worthy of it. It's not because we're better than all those around us. So the Lord was looking for who am I going to give it to? And he looked at Jason among everyone in here and he went, you know what, Jason's better than all those people. I guess I'll give it to him. Ben's already smiling. Ben's like, oh, if that happened, you wouldn't get it. <laughs> It's not why. It's because we are Christ. We belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. And so because of Christ and the fact that I'm a joint heir with Christ and that we belong to God, who is the creator and sustainer of all things, we have it all. That's good stuff. Some of you, however, still have that question in your heart that I have. Let's see if I'm right. Because if I'm driving down the loop and it's all mine, I would like to sell some of it. Amen? Anybody with me? Like, Lord, uh, if that's really mine, could we sell that for like $10 a square foot? I mean, I do need a little bit of money in my account, take care of a few things. Maybe you're sitting here going, well, if it's all mine, can I get a new job? If it's all mine, can I have this or can I do that? And here's what we've done. We've taken the divine things that are eternal 
and we squished them down into the temporary human wisdom way of thinking about things. That's what we just did. If I did find out today, if somebody uh, interrupted the service and said, hey, uh, are you Jason Williams? I was like, hey, I'll get with you in a minute. He's like, no, this is very important. I need to talk to you right now. I was like, okay. Uh, he said, listen, we just found out um, where you are, um, but actually uh, you are one of the heirs of Steve Jobs' fortune, um, and you're going to receive $10 billion. What would change? We would not meet in a hotel very long. <laughs> That's the first thing that would change. Um, let me tell you something that would not change. There's not a chance in the world that I buy my 16-year-old and 18-year-old son Ferraris. Track with me here. It is not because I can't afford it. But they've already both got tickets <laughs> for speeding. Who hands their 16-year-old and 18-year-old? Someone here, some of you kids, are, your dream is being ruined right now. <laughs> You're like, I'm not getting a Ferrari. Um, if, if you are getting Ferrari, somebody needs to tithe more. Amen? Could I just say that out loud? <laughs> just saying that out loud. Is that wrong? I'm going to get in trouble for that one later. Um, but I know better, right? I mean, don't we know better? You, you don't give an 18-year-old boy a car that can do whatever that car can do that quickly. <laughs> because that is stupid, right? And that's the reason why you don't have some of the things that you wish you could have. Because God, who exists eternally, is looking at you and you're screaming for something that you won't. Folks, I am preaching to me at the present moment. I just don't want to accept it, okay? But the reason why I don't have some of the things or some of the things happening in my life that I wish were happening is because God knows I own it all, according to, according to Paul. That's what the Bible says. I own it all, so why don't I have it right this second? Why can't I go out and use it right this second? Because God's like, listen, you belong to Christ. Christ belongs to me. Trust me, if I gave you that, you'd kill yourself. If I gave Daniel or Andrew Ferraris, Andrew's like, I wouldn't drive fast. He's lying. <laughs> the first thing both those boys would do, it'd be like, hey, meet me around the corner. All right, they'd pull up and they'd be like, all right. Let's see how fast we can go down the street. They'd both wreck. And if you got the things that you wish you had with your temporary, short experience, human wisdom ideas, we'd kill ourselves. And that's why Romans 8 matters. Because we do own everything and we have access to everything. And if we need it, oh, this is so good. If we, preaching to me, like literally I'm preaching to me right now. And if we need it, if we truly need it to accomplish what God wants to do in our life, guess what? We will have it. Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know why all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose? Because you own it all. 
as a joint heir with Christ. And God is working the things in your life the way he needs to work it. All biblical teachers, this world, your life, your death, your present moments, the future, Corinthians, listen, all of it is being worked together by God's hand. And listen, Corinth, it's being worked together for your good. Quit overlaying on God's divine plan your human wisdom because you don't get it. But if you will trust the Holy Spirit that resides in you, he will begin to unveil why those things don't matter. Now, why is Romans 28 or 8.28 so true? Let me reread what we read in Elder. We're getting close to being done. Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God can be for us, who can be against us? Do you know why? Because we're joint heirs of Christ. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, or gave him up for us all, listen, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Inspired writer, Paul. Inspired writer of Corinthians, Paul. All things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And listen to verse 37. Don't miss it in context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Do you know why you and all these things are more than conquerors through him who loved us? Because you are a joint heir with Christ. That's why nothing can separate you. Because you're with Christ. Who can be against you? Who could charge you with anything? You're running the court. You're not the bailiff. You're up there with the judge. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's Paul's confidence. I am sure that neither death nor life, do you want to know why? Because you own it. Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth. And just in case you're curious that Paul might have left out something, he says, nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you want to know why? Because we own it with Christ. And we, through Christ, belong to God, who could possibly come up against us? And if you're me, and you were up here right now preaching to yourself, you would say this, but I feel like I'm losing. I feel like the battle is not being won. I feel like 
There's all these things that are happening, and I feel like I'm not in charge. I feel like it's not going the way I want it to go. Nothing seems to be going the right way, and I think God is not paying attention. Lose your human wisdom. Because if we are joint heirs with Christ, do you really think God's going to not let Christ get what he wants? Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from his plan. We are his children through Christ. And it's all ours. And everything that's happening right now, that happens tomorrow, that happens 20 years from now, if you're still alive, everything that is ever happening is working together for your good. And here's what I know based on Scripture. If you could, for just a moment, take your situation and all the problems we have. Listen, I've been a cop I've been a pastor. I've seen all the problems. And I've experienced a bunch of them. And every single one, I don't care what facade you came in here on right now. I don't care how theologically sound you are right now. You are dealing with something. And you're saying, I wish God would change this. And you can pray and you can request. But if God's not changing it, if you could, for just a moment, see everything that God sees... If you had that ability to step out and see everything that God sees, time of which makes no sense. He's outside of time. But if if we could just step and see all of it, and then we would look at the Lord and the Lord would say, change what you want to. Do you know what we would say after we looked at everything? We would say, change nothing. Because you are wise. And everything I thought was wrong. And I see now what you see. That you're working all things together for good. And if you had let me have my way, I would have killed myself. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. It's just profound. It's like profound to me. I heard it years ago. And every time I get this way, God's like, you remember Spurgeon? Some of you are like, he didn't say that to you. But anyway, we're running along. (laughs) Charles Spurgeon said this. Remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. We don't understand all of it. But I know this. We cannot view the plans of God through the wisdom of man. We must trust our Father. And that means that our plans and the plans for our life will and should look totally different than how the world says the plans for our life should be. And how the world does things should be different than how we do things. We are called to trust Trust. Trust our Father. I hope that you will take what I have taken from 18 through 
23. The, the idea and the truth that I own everything with Christ. Everything. It all belongs to me. But if I want to lay over my wisdom on top of God's plan, <laughs> that's a really bad idea. <laughs> it's a really bad idea. Instead, we trust the God who has created and sustains all things. Who rescued us from a path that led us and would lead us to hell. That if he would pursue us and rescue us from eternity in hell. Can we not trust him with now? Can we not trust him with now? The good news of the gospel is not just we get Jesus heaven and miss hell. That's not where the, that's not where the Bible ends with the gospel. It's this too. That because of Christ, you are now a joint heir of everything. And because of that, nothing can take you away from God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even death cannot separate you. It's simply a vehicle who has been instructed. And if you were God and you were sitting where God is, you would instruct it for yourself to come and get you and take you to glory. Everything belongs to us. That's the good news of the gospel. What is the gospel? Glad you asked. Here's the gospel. You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. And you were running as fast as you could to hell. And even in your rebellion toward God, God loved you. And he sent Christ Take your punishment on the cross. You, through faith, believe in that sacrifice. You put your sin on Christ, and Christ gives you his righteousness. And your life is forever changed. And you are made a new creature, joint heirs with Christ, belonging to God. As his children. People say, well, how do I do that? Do I repeat a prayer? Do I do this? Do I do that? You simply repent, which means to say, I get it, God. Everything that I thought, everything I think, and everything I want to do is completely wrong and rebellion to you. And I repent of that, and I want to go the direction you want me to go. That's repentance. And faith is, I trust you, Lord, with my life. And listen, Christian in here, if you've done that, if you trust him, if you trust him that when you draw your last breath, you will see him in glory. Please trust him for today. Please. Let's pray. God, you're good. We come to you and we confess, I confess that we are backseat drivers, God. And yet we can't see the road, and we don't understand the turns, and, and we can't see all that you see. And Lord, I know that if we could see everything you see, we would completely understand that we're right where we're supposed to be. So God, I pray that you would give us 
a heart that believes and trusts you fully in that, God. I know it's available to us in the Spirit. Help us to, to walk in that, Lord, I pray. And yes, God, I know that I still say, I say now, I don't understand it all. But God, I'm, I'm trying to trust you with it all. I pray, Lord, you'd move our church and the people here who are believers to the same, same kind of faith, Lord. And God, I pray for our, um, our people in here who may not have ever met you before, Lord. You would take the scales off their eyes and they would see you for who you are. God, you would rescue them and you'd change their life. Give them a new heart, a passion for you. May they understand for the first time in their life how foolish human wisdom is. And God, for us who are believers, God, help us to keep from running back to foolish human wisdom. Help us understand, Lord. Help us to trust. We admit our unbelief sometimes, Lord. Teach us, train us, guide us, carry us, Lord. We love you. I'm just going to leave this room for a moment. It's a quiet room. I know it's Lord's Supper. I know it's um, probably past time. I am convinced that some of you need to do business with the Lord today. Um, so we're going to do it a little differently. I have no idea if this is the spirit. I think it is. And so... Um, I'm one of these people who um, does not trust always that the Lord knows what he's doing. And there are some here in this room today who are the same way. And if that is you, here's what I want us to do. I'd just like for you to stand and, and for some people to gather around you and pray. So if you're here and you just say, I'm in a place where I do not understand. I don't, I don't trust the Lord right now with this. Would you just stand? That's you. I'd be shocked that there's not somebody in here. Okay, a couple. Anyone else would just say, I'm, I'm just in a spot and I don't understand everything that's going on in my life. I just, I need help with my unbelief. If you're a covenant member of our church, I'd like for you to look around. From one of our elders, at least at least one or maybe two of our elders to find the people that are standing. And some covenant members just to gather around them. Let's just have a time of prayer. Um, by the way, this is a biblical thing, by the way, church. We see this to pray for one another. Let's spend some time praying over them for a few minutes. Then I'll lead us in another prayer. And then I'll be turning the service over to our pastor of congregational care, Wayne, who will lead us through the Lord. Supper. I would just ask our, one of our elders after a couple of minutes if, if one of the elders in each group would just begin to pray aloud over that person. And then when you finish that prayer, you can all move back to your seats.
that was awkward for you, I'd like to welcome you to a New Testament church. That's a biblical thing. Pray we'd see more of that in time. I'm going to be turning the service over to Wayne, our pastor of congregational care. He'll move us through uh, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Uh, thank you for being here. Let's turn our attention and our hearts to the Lord in this very serious time.